0: This week on Hangar Talk, LSA weights could be
1: climbing. Ramp space charting—it's in the works. Also, lots of news coming out of NBAA in Orlando. And we give out some flight experience awards in Frederick, Maryland. All right, David, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk again from AOPA—your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130,
0: contact final 132.4. With your hosts. Ian Twombly and David Tulis.
1: This is Hangar
0: Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And David, um, you cut up with our guest this week, Rachel Specter. Really cool grassroots story about uh, helping people get into aviation.
1: That's right. Rochelle is uh, out in uh, California and she uh, started up a company, uh, basically a nonprofit called iHeart Flying. It's H A R T, iHeart Flying. And the cool thing, Ian, is that she's giving back to aviation by raising money for scholarships and producing several new pilots. That's great. Okay, we'll hear from her later. Uh, let's get started on the news. There's lots to go over
0: this week, because probably because of NVAA That's going to expand us a little bit. But I want to talk first about LSA. We're going to go all the way to the other end of the spectrum there.
1: The light end of the spectrum.
0: Yeah, that's right. The weight limits. Um, you may have heard this news. Uh, at uh, our regional flying in Carbondale on October 6th, Jack Pelton, head of uh, EAA, got up. And said that the
1: LSA weight limit would be climbing, now he said, to 3,600 pounds. And that would include even, you know, airplanes up to the size of a Bonanza, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Funny enough, I think he mentioned a uh, speed limit. It was something like 150 knots. That's pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fast. Uh, Obviously, this blew everybody away. Um, That would mean huge changes when you're talking about medicals, because obviously, light sport, you don't have to have a medical, never have to even apply. But we found out a little bit later that it might not necessarily
1: be what it seems. It sounds like there's still some details to be worked out, but uh, gosh, and everyone's so excited to hear that there might even be any kind of changes on the horizon for LSA. That could that could bring a lot more people back to flying.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, a little bit of the scoop is that uh, AOPA works on the ASTM committee uh, among a number of other organizations. And they've been working on this for a long time. And a lot of this stuff, of course, happens in the background. And there isn't much to say publicly until really some action starts to take place. But we've been working this for years, really, trying to increase the weight limit to something a little more, you know, 152, 172, uh, yeah, light single kind of range.
1: Something that would be normal yeah. for someone to to grab a, a couple of people and go somewhere. Because right now it's 1,320 pounds for a light sport aircraft or 1,430 pounds for something that's got float and, you know, and uh, gear like an amphibious aircraft.
0: Yeah, right, right. So um, EA apparently also kind of been working this um, outside of the committee uh, a little bit on their own. And um, I think the bottom line is what people can can take away from the announcement is that there is some movement on LSA. The organizations are working it. The details of what those are going to be, we just Really just don't know yet. But um, I think in the next, you know, uh, I would say midterm, we should we should see some movement there.
1: And the other thing to uh, keep in mind is that, and the reason why a lot of folks are, are excited is that, you know, that's uh, with the LSA, you know, the requirements for pilot requirements, that does help people enter aviation a little bit quicker than with a private pilot certificate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. That, that's a great point. Very good point.
1: Something else uh, that's that's
0: going to help pilots. Now, this is a little bit in the weeds, and it's stuff that we don't normally talk about a lot, but charting. AOPA has been working with uh, the FAA and other or- aviation organizations to uh, get more information on charts and specifically public ramps where you wouldn't have to go through an FBO.
1: Right and so that would help us again save some money because as a pilot you know maybe you're just dropping someone off you're just picking someone up or you know maybe you already have fuel on your aircraft you don't really necessarily need to to get it from the FBO or, or anywhere else so it would help us to know where can we park where we're not going to run afoul of any kind of landing fees or any other fees like that.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, you go to a big airport, they say, oh, which FBO are you parking at? And, um, you know, you just sort of have to pick one if you haven't done your research ahead of time. But this would allow you to say something like, oh, I'm going to the transient ramp. Exactly. And, um, yeah, you park at the ramp. Uh, You park yourself because you can, of course. Um, You don't really need any fuel or anything. Maybe you're dropping somebody off and there'd be uh, hopefully some access to the street. And, um, you know, you'd be able to just uh, fire up and, and take back off again from there.
1: That's right. And so like the diagram for Waukegan uh, National Airport that we have posted online, it shows uh, transient parking and is labeled. But not very many of these charts are labeled as such. And it could be very confusing to someone who's not from the area. In fact, I would say if you're, you know, being a transient pilot coming through, you're probably not going to know where to park in the first place, Mm -hmm. you know, where where the FBO parking is preferred or where transient parking is. So having a label on the map will help folks like me that are flying through know exactly where to go.
0: Yeah, so another one of these kind of things that we work in the background that a lot of people don't hear about is um, there's something the FAA convenes twice a year called the Aeronautical Charting Forum, And this is a user group. Uh, Military, Jeppesen, uh, airlines sometimes come. Uh, AOPA goes to this regularly. And at the April meeting, uh, AOPA put forward a proposal to standardize uh, these ramps to make it obvious to pilots where they need to go. And so the FAA is currently looking into that. And um, we, uh, we hope we'll see more on it soon.
1: I think that's good. It's moving in the right direction. I think that'll be helpful. And we'll Stay tuned, obviously, to see what happens with that. And, um, you know, I think I think it's helpful to me, helpful to you, helpful to anyone coming through or, or not familiar with the area. Yeah,
0: definitely. Okay, hey, so let's get on to NBAA. Uh, lots going on there this week as we're recording.
1: Boy, I tell you, that's a, that's a happening place, man. I wish I was there right now.
0: <laughs> it is, yeah. Not a lot was expected prior to the show, but a couple of big announcements. Let's start a little bit before the show. Some, we'll call it, uh, you know, maybe not totally unexpected, but definitely some bad news. Um, and that's that one aviation, which is that conglomerate of Kestrel and Eclipse, um, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy.
1: So now uh, that was not a huge surprise, though, was it, Ian? And there is a um, it's an Albuquerque, New Mexico based company. But I mean, we've all heard of mm-hmm. the um, the Eclipse. That was a super cool airplane. Yeah. And Kestrel and Alan Clatmire, you know, one of the one of the brothers with Dale that started Cirrus.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, not totally unexpected. There, we had heard there were some problems with them paying rent at Albuquerque and um, maybe some other places. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not great. But they say this will allow them to restructure and they will continue to operate during uh, during the bankruptcy proceeding. So you should still be able to get support for your eclipse, yeah. uh, which is great.
1: Well, there are a few of those eclipses out there and they are slick looking little jets, man, I tell you. Yeah, they're very cool. Very cool. So we we wish them the best. Yeah, we we do, and 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 we should let our podcast listeners know that one aviation is going to continue to develop the EA seven hundred jet while providing that maintenance. So they're moving ahead a little bit even on that other front as well. Oh, that's a good
0: point. Good point. So at the show, the thing that the big news that really kicked it off uh, was Embraer, and this this one this one was a surprise.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Tom Horn was down there, and and oh boy, he's got a way with words. I just love the way he writes. But he he said that uh that Embraer uh kicked it off with two new jets the midsize Prater 500 that's P as in Papa R A E T O R 500 and the super midsize Prater 600 and you and I were talking about this right before the show we had to look up what the word Prater meant. (laughs) <laughs> and, yeah. so, and so it alludes to the to um, basically an, an army person, a commander in the ancient Roman Empire. It sounds like it's you know it's a it's a a show of strength, if you will. I think that's my mm. interpretation okay. of it.
0: That's cool. That's cool. Um, these are loosely based. It's kind of funny. I mean, this one of the reasons this is a surprise is because you Know the legacy 450 and 500, um, they're relatively new jets, and so they are.
1: We were writing about those guys just like just the past year or so,
0: yeah, yeah. So to have new ones in roughly the same category, um, is unusual, but what this does is apparently boost range, um, big time and makes them a little more competitive, especially with the uh, the Cessna uh, Longitude, the uh-huh. new one that's coming up in the Gulfstream. Um, G two eighty right so
1: so yeah so um the those two Honeywell seventy five hundred turbo fans with 6,500 6, pounds of thrust and three thousand two hundred and fifty nautical miles IFR range puts it right in that that same uh, that same range exactly it's what you were just alluding to
0: yeah that's very cool so you know one thing that Embraer has been a leader on is fly by wire and uh, one thing that caught your eye was a way that they're going to use this fly-by-wire technology to uh, make it a little more comfortable for the passengers.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this, Ian. And so they have a turbulence reduction technology feature that's going to be added to the Prater's operating system software. And it automatically activates when a gust or another load descents, and it triggers the ailerons to make corrective deflections mm. and uh, relieve some of that high wing loading. And so what I was wondering about, you know, for me, uh, I just rented a car recently that had that sort of that drive lane change feature in it. It kind of nudged you when you were going a little too far left, a little too far right. Have you, have you had that experience yet? Um, I've seen the ones that warn you, but I haven't been nudged. So it warned you it'll it'll warn you with an audible or in a visual warning but I I had I I can't remember the make of the car might have been a Toyota kind of nudged the car Back into the lane, wow! Uh, which is kind of cool. I mean, for safety, that is cool. But I could see that that's sort of the that sort of dovetails with what uh, Embraer is trying to do with this turbulence reduction software technology, and I, I think that could be cool because it would stabilize the ride and make it a lot smoother for everybody. Plus, technically reducing that wing loading—that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, what's
0: interesting about that, that you mentioned it is, you know, we've been saying for years that aviation is like decades behind the auto industry in terms of technology. Right. And look at how quickly we've caught up because, um, your lane thing also reminds me of, you know, of like the Cirrus system and garments panel, the stability control that sort of nudged you if you went, if you overbanked or, Ah. uh, something like that. And so it's, uh, it's really incredible. I mean, that, and you know, you're talking just a couple of years ago and that's really about the same pace then as the auto industry, so it's phenomenal how fast.
1: I guess we're finally catching up because some of that stuff is all digitally based instead of it being, yeah, you know, yeah. gyro based or or mechanically. Yeah, good point. So that is that is cool. We're finally, the I guess the field's leveling out finally.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, so we mentioned the longitude. Now that uh, is some other news. I mean, it's it's the longitude itself isn't necessarily news at the show in that they are a couple weeks from certification. I mean, we know that. The biggest thing that was really interesting was the NetJets order, which is
1: just massive. That's a huge order. Um, they've got a lot riding on this. I guess it's safe to say they've got a lot riding on this longitude. But, man, NetJets yeah. is looking to, in the next 10 to 15 years, they're um, placing orders for 175 of the longitudes. Yeah. So that's pretty significant money-wise and number-wise.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, and I didn't realize this. You know, they said that they, I guess they celebrated their partnership, NetJets and uh, and Cessna, now Textron, I guess, been working together for 30 years. So NetJets, you know, they started flying citations in 1984, which I I had no idea.
1: That's a long, that is a, that's a mature relationship, you might say.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, NetJets is also looking at the Hemisphere, which is that other citation that's coming in the future. They want 150 of those.
1: Yeah, that's an amazing number of jets to be, you know, to be soon on the horizon. And just be jumping back from the hemisphere to the longitude, just real quick. I did the math, Ian. For okay, the next yeah. 10 to 15 years, if you want, for the next 10 to 15 years, that's 11.66 to 17.5 longitudes per year. <laughs> that's going to roll out the door, and I guess we're looking at about 15 a year. Of the hemispheres. Yeah. So you're looking at, you know, f- what, it's like 25 to 30 of these aircraft, you know, and that's just coming out of Cessna Textron to that market. That's Yeah, that's, and
0: with one customer, one customer. A Good yeah. point. That's, that's right,
1: to one customer. That's significant. Yeah. And the money coming out of that is really going to help drive a lot of the, the earnings for that segment of the marketplace. Yeah,
0: yeah that's great. So uh, that leads into the other thing, which is the Honeywell forecast. They always uh, Honeywell always gives a business jet forecast at the launch of the show. And um, things are things are looking really good.
1: They are looking pretty good. I think the, uh, the one word that was coming out of that, that Tom Haynes was out there covering it, and he said it was stability. That was the name of the game because the 2019 mm-hmm. 10-year forecast – Suggest it's although it's just one percent growth over last year, with these new airplanes coming online that we just spoke about, Ian, it looks like that twenty nineteen and twenty twenty is really uh, going to be sort of the key years coming up when a lot more are on the market and when the used market starts to heat up a little bit more too.
0: Yeah, and we're seeing that now. I mean, the used market has really been squeezed lately, so it makes sense that uh, new deliveries are going to increase as people look to you know look for an option when they can't find something used.
1: And I was looking at the, the total need for for these jets in the marketplace of so the business jets. And I was shocked at 7,700 business jets needed during this period. Yeah. And that's up about 50 units from the previous forecast. And, of course, with North America leading the way, as we have been. But uh, that's a lot of airplanes. I mean, a lot of big jet airplanes, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I think the one thing that's, it's not troubling, I would say, but that's kind of interesting about this is that, you know, the the manufacturers, I think, consider a healthy mix, worldwide mix, North America to the rest of the world about 50-50. And it's looking more like 60%, I think 61% they're saying North America. So I know they'd like to be a little more active internationally. Europe, interestingly, is only 16%.
1: Yeah, that is something. So hopefully those numbers will get up and rise a little bit and increase. But so you're saying that if it's more, if the field again is more level worldwide, that that would be a better thing rather than have it concentrated in North America.
0: Yeah, I think typically they like to see about 50 50. I don't know that it, you know, it's like a hard number that they feel like they really strive for, but that's traditionally been kind of a healthy mix.
1: Well, that's interesting, and I tell you what—I I was just recently uh, in a little a little business jet with uh with Greg uh, Greg Ider, and that was the trip that we took out to um, Vernal, Utah, for the veterans. So that we'll hear a little bit more about in the yeah. next month or so. But, you know, I was amazed at that, you know, my first uh, experience in something like that cross country, that definitely was the way to go. And it was so more efficient for, and especially if you're a businessman or businesswoman, you're so much more efficient for your time. And Greg was telling me that, you know, those jets are actually a little bit easier to fly Mm -hmm. than, you know, he thought it was a little bit easier to fly than than a Cirrus or another piston aircraft, which I had no idea. Because everything is very automated and really, you know, stuff's laid out for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Very true. Hey,
1: let's move on to the uh, Flight
0: Training Awards. Now, we had Redbird at AOPA this year for Redbird Migration. That happened last week. You and I both uh, were there for at least a little bit of it, which is always a lot of fun. Yeah. And at that show... Uh, we gave out our top school and instructor
1: awards uh, for 2018. That's right. And this uh, we call them the 2018 Flight Training Experience Awards, Ian. And so this is something that all of our podcast listeners can get involved in because when they go out with a CFI, all they have to do is remember their experience And then when the time is right for the survey to open up again, just reply on the survey of their positive experience. Hopefully, it'll be a positive one. Mm -hmm. And um, and that way, they could give their instructor a little bit of a pat on the back or the flight school, especially – And uh, what we do with that information, Ian, as you know, is that we try to make, APA has an initiative to try to make flight training a lot more fun, a lot more inclusive, and a a little bit more standardized if we could, just to sort of kind of know what people are doing and throw some good ideas out there, the ideas that are working. Yeah. And so we had uh, regional winners um, that we'll go over in a minute. We had the best CFI winners. And uh, it was awesome, and I, you know, I got a chance to report on it and you know, get a few photos and meet some of the folks. And uh, you know, first of all, I'd like to say congratulations to all of the people that were involved, and you, you knew some of them too. I know, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And we got to see a lot of past winners at the show, which was great. Folks who come down because they're celebrated because they're still top tiers. You know, top tier schools and instructors. And yeah, it's a really the event is amazing. It's um the energy at migration is, is really fantastic. I mean, the instructors are in the school owners, you know, they're pumped. Um, They engage in these like team building activities that they get really excited about. And um, it's a, it's a really cool event. And to see such a high caliber of schools and instructors in one location is really, uh, it's, it's honestly, it's the only place that happens. It's
1: very cool. The energy was really uh, amazing, and there was it was boundless energy. We had people that were really excited. I would say they were re-energized, yeah, really. And they're going to bring that they're going to bring that back to their students. Yeah. So, so I'll go ahead. Let me go ahead and let our podcast listeners know who won. Uh, it might not be a surprise to them, but uh, but take flight out of uh, Montgomery, New York. Now that's up in Orange County, it's just outside of New York City. Mm-hmm. Ryan um, Ryan Mayo and uh, and Chris Gr- uh, Grassley, who I've talked to before, uh, they use a lot of Diamond aircraft. Well, they won. The top flight school this year, so congratulations to those guys. Yeah, and th- that's pretty cool stuff. What folks wrote in and said was that that these guys really were at the top of the game because they made the the flight school feel like home. And uh, in fact, uh, some of the instructors e- even included their students in on lunch plans and other activities. Yeah, uh, you know, while they were waiting around in between flights, and I think that is a welcoming. Feeling that makes you feel like you're part of the community and part of the environment. So yeah, that was yeah fantastic. yeah.
0: Community is huge at flight schools. People underestimate it, but community establishing a community at a flight school is a major major uh, driver success for students. So that's right. That's great to hear.
1: That's right. And our best CFI of the year, uh, who. Hails out a little bit west of uh, Windy, Chicago, is a Gold Seal flight instructor, Mike Bowinga, and he's out of Blue Sky uh, Aviation, mm-hmm. and that is in Lake, if I can get it out, it's in Lake in the Hills Airport <laughs> near Chicago. Yeah. Blue Skies is a repeat winner, just like Take Flight yeah. is, but Mike is the first-time winner for this, and uh, he was excited. Uh, I don't know if you, did you, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, did you get a chance to talk to him at all? I have not talked to Mike yet. No, no. So, so I was trying to be sneaky and I uh, went and chatted him up a little bit while he was at the migration. Cause you know, the awards are a big mm-hmm. secret until we mm-hmm. give them out. And, uh, and so he was participating in one of the Redbird challenges, which I know you have done in the past, right? Yeah. And they always, they throw something weird at you. Now one year, what were y'all, y'all were doing something with cheese whiz one year. What was that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was a video. You had to create a video, and Cheese Whiz had to be in the video.
1: That was pretty bizarre, and I forgot what y'all did last year. I wanted to say it was charades or something in tuxedos or something. I can't quite <laughs> even remember. No, uh, no. One year, you guys were doing launching like, uh, y'all were doing like balsa wood airplanes or something like that.
0: Yep. Yeah. I had to build an airplane and launch it. And yeah,
1: yep. Yeah. So this year, they had a so part of migration, which the experience awards are given out in conjunction with uh, migration and during, during the evening one night. Mm-hmm. So they had um, paper airplane golf and they had uh, airplane and airport trivia, but they also had blind landing. And I was wondering, well, how the heck do you blind land? an airplane and get judged and graded on it. So I was chatting with Mike right before he went in. So he's like facing a blank wall and his teammates are behind him looking at a video screen and they're going left 10 degrees, Mike left no, 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 right now, right, up, up a little, up a little, no, no, down, 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 more throttle, more throttle, and it was just wild, he was, he was such a good sport at it, but, uh, but he had the, he had the patience to pull that off, and my, kudos to him, he was just a great guy, and, and I mean, it's awesome to see everyone participate in that. And, his, you know, he said that his students ended up being his friends because he figured they all had a, a connection one way or another. And he had a connection with his teammates, too. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah,
0: that's great. Very cool.
1: You, know, right, you want me to run down the, uh, the regional, regional best school winners real quick? Yeah, yeah. Let's hear the rest of them. All right. We'll go uh, Regional best school winners uh, in the Northeast, as we heard, Take Flight Aviation of Orange County Airport, New York. And in the southeast, Mill 2 ATP of Wayne Executive Jetport in North Carolina. In the Midwest, Blue Sky Flying Services and Pilot Shop in Lake of the Hills Airport in Illinois. In the southwest, Chandler Air Services of Chandler Municipal Airport in Arizona. And in the west, San Carlos Flight Center of San Carlos Airport, California. Now, do any of those names ring a bell?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're they're the top echelons that we always get you know pretty good reports out of out of several of these yep. schools. I've heard of them.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: All right. So so I'll wrap I'll wrap up the award show with uh, the best CFI winners. We already heard about Mike Bowinga of Lake in the Hills Airport for the Midwest, and in the Northeast, Gershaw Ming, Mingasu of Montgomery County Airport, Montgomery County Airport rather. It's right here in Maryland, not far from AOPA headquarters.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just down the road. Yeah.
1: And uh, in the southeast, Mike Davis of Fairfield County Airport in South Carolina. In the southwest, Brian Schultz of Lake Havasu City Airport in Arizona. And in the west, and I spoke to her, Carol Bennett of John Wayne Airport in California. And uh, she was an awesome guest, and I was so cool to see her here uh, and uh, join a lot of folks. And, and we had just a great turnout. They were, oh, man, let me see if I can get the numbers and how many folks were were surveyed for the awards. One second, let me see if I can find that. So we had, um, so we had feedback from 954 flight schools and 1,849 flight instructors who were reviewed by their customers.
0: Fantastic! That's great. And the
1: award, it's. it's isn't that wild? Yeah, and um, and the awards were chosen for standout schools and instructors with at least five independent reviews and consistently superior ratings. Very cool. So very cool. Yeah, so that's saying that's saying a lot. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, there you have the rundown, and uh, congrats to all the winners and everyone else who participated. Yeah, congrats to them. Hey, so moving on to our last story, uh, congrats to you,
0: airplane owner, because if you haven't upgraded your airplane to ADSB yet, you, uh, your procrastination will be rewarded, and the, because the FAA has reopened the ADSB rebate window, so that ADSB five hundred dollar rebate that we had last year is officially open again and available.
1: Timing is everything, yeah, Ian. Yeah,
0: I like uh, as a procrastinator myself. I appreciate this gesture from the FAA. <laughs> Basically, what's happening is the FAA is going to spend the rest of the money that was not spent in the last rebate, and uh, it will be open from now until October 11th,
1: 2019, or until the money is gone. Oh man!
0: So yeah. So you
1: don't want to be you don't want to procrastinate too much longer. Too much, and when the money right. is gone, it might be all gone.
0: It's gone. Yeah. So the process does take a, a bit of work to go through to get the money, but basically the deal is upgrade to ADS-B, uh, apply through the FAA, get the rebate. It's, it's not too uh, laborious, but the one thing you got to know is, and this this got people last time is, um, when you do the test flight, you've got to do it in rural airspace. And what that means is airspace where a transponder is required today so, where ADSB will be required on January 1st, 2020, you have to do some test flying in that area, which for people maybe in the Northeast is not a big deal. But if you live in the Mountain West, uh, parts of Alaska, whatever, that could be more challenging.
1: So, you have to do it in an area where ADSB would be needed in the future?
0: Yeah, where ADSB will be required on January 1st, 2020 which is the same as where a transponder is required today.
1: So is that to get more of an accurate reading regards to, I guess there's probably not much radio interference or anything like that, but I'm wondering if it's just a more of a real life, you know, real world scenario.
0: Well, it's a great question actually, because you know, ADSB is in many more places than where, so the ground stations cover much more area than where the rule requires the airplane to have ADS-B. Uh-huh. So, what people are thinking is that now this hasn't been confirmed so it's just speculation but what people are thinking is the FAA was just trying to incentivize people who are in rural airspace and so therefore made it mandatory that you had to do the test in rural airspace okay gotcha. so yeah kind of interesting
1: so there's five steps you got to go through make sure you do all the five steps
0: yeah yeah so there's some steps make sure yeah you follow it and uh, you'll get your 500 bucks
1: I like which that. is pretty
0: nice considering you got to equip anyway
1: january 1st 2020 is what 15 months away I know. It's coming up fast.
0: <laughs> yep. So, hey, speaking of free
1: money, our guest, Rochelle. So Rochelle Spector of iHeartFlying, it's H-A-R-T, iHeartFlying, she is going to tell us how she met a fundraising challenge in donations and surpassed that and gave out flight training awards to numerous folks. Let's hear from Rochelle. All right, so we're going to welcome to uh, Hanger Talk via Skype, all the way from California, uh, Rochelle Specker of I Heart Flying, And Rochelle, welcome to Hanger Talk. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, David. A uh, pleasure uh, is all mine.
1: Cool deal. Tell the podcast listeners here at Hangar Talk uh, how you got interested in flying. Well, let me introduce you first as a pilot and uh, I guess an entrepreneur, also a a real key fundraiser for uh, scholarships for young people, especially young women. And tell us how you got started in flying to begin with.
2: So to begin with, I mean, it's actually an interesting fact, never thought I would be a pilot. And obviously now I certainly couldn't imagine not being one. A little over eight years ago, a flight instructor randomly reached out to me on Facebook and asked me to come for a free flight. So actually I have been flying ever since and aviation found me and literally has changed my life forever forever. And, you know, I'm just so humbled to be in a position to be able to pay that same gift forward and help change other people's lives.
1: You know, that's what I thought. I thought that it was um, that when you got an idea for um, the scholarships, that it was sort of to, to pay things forward a little bit. And like a lot of us, we don't want to do. We want to do something good with our aviation training and with our pilot certificates. So you got a scholarship. Now, where did that come from? Give us a little bit more detail on how that came about.
2: So I did all of my initial training out of Van Nuys, and there used to be a company called Van Nuys Flight Center. And uh, my old flight instructor, his name was Bill Monty, and they offered me a scholarship to do my whole private pilot's license for free. And back then, aviation for me was just a method of transportation, and. It was interesting just because I I know they wanted to get more women involved in aviation. But, you know, I would probably say within the past four years is when I really got bitten by the aviation bug. And, you know, I'm sure everybody that understands that term knows that. It doesn't matter who you're around. You can talk about aviation morning, noon, and night. Sure. And are super excited about it. And that's what I'm really trying to do is, you know, ignite that magic for flight and, you know, get people, everyone excited about aviation again.
1: Well, I I agree with you. And I think that um, one of the things that you guys are doing, and we're trying to do the same thing at AOPA, is, you know, to get a lot of young people interested in aviation. We all know that there's a pretty big pilot shortage here in the works. And we're going to have to you know, reach deep into our pockets to solve that for the traveling public, you know, one student at a time, so to speak. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, this pilot shortage, it's real. And we're already being affected by it. And even though Boeing just came out with some new lower numbers from, I think, 637 to 635,000, uh, 635,000, pilots that are going to be needed globally within the next two decades. Exactly. I mean, that would mean we would have to train a new ATP every 15 minutes to be able to come up with that demand.
1: That's amazing. But
2: (laughs) Yeah. But as you know, David, (laughs) we don't have just a pilot shortage. We have a flight instructor shortage, a mechanic shortage, even more so on the helicopter rotorcraft side.
1: Right. And also uh, with cabin crew personnel, there's a big need for that as well. William Ampofa from Boeing told me that uh, he was on our podcast day.
2: Nice. Wow. Yeah. So I'm just hoping that with I Heart Flying and what we're trying to do together with AOPA, you know, we've partnered with you guys several times, you know, at, uh, Air Venture, Sun and Fun. We did some live broadcast and just a recent article. Thank you, AOPA. You guys have been a huge uh, <laughs> you know supporter of iHeartFlying. Really appreciate that. Because you know what? We're all coming together with a common goal. We need more pilots. So what do we do to achieve that? Right. And even more, when we're talking about creating diversity, filling the gender gap for that pilot pipeline, you know, what do we do? So it's all about getting people excited, exposure, and also educating our youth and future STEM of all the jobs available in aviation.
1: That's a good point you just brought up, uh, Rochelle, because uh, even here at AOPA, we do have a a definite pathway that students can take uh, either for piloting skills or for drone skills in our STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math curriculum that's being rolled out to high schools. And you know, that's a free of charge course uh, that educators can get.
2: Yeah, and and that's amazing and even though we can be touched at any age we all know children are like sponges and you never know <laughs> what you're going to say what you're going to do or who you're going to influence absolutely and it and you could plant that seed and start them young and you know maybe one day they'll come back to aviation again i mean you never know but it's really all about Motivating, inspiring, educating, and really, I think, empowering one another to pursue your passion.
1: Sure. What motivated you to pursue your uh, private pilot certificate uh, back when you started? You said that was only about eight or eight or nine years ago.
2: I, I have to tell you, it's it's so interesting, and I'm, I'm sure you would agree with me. You know that that saying, "Make plans, and God laughs." Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> You know, growing up, someone said, hey, David, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm I'm sure you'd be able to rattle off, you know, your top five things that got you excited. And then, you know, same thing with me. You know, my whole background was music and entertainment and singer, songwriter, a musician. And, you know, one day, you know, life knocks on the door and says, hey, what do you think about this? And it's interesting, like I said, if you really think about it, how, you know, I would have never have known – that I can, for whatever reason, I can get in anything and fly it. I I never would have known that if that would have never happened. So, uh, and like I said, I'm just so grateful uh, to be a part of this amazing community. And I mean, really what we're trying to do together is a movement.
1: I agree. Well, now you mentioned music and and, uh, some uh, music arts as uh, some of your background. I play electric bass, but it'd be a little bit hard for you and I to get together right now. We're on the other side of the country.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I could pull out my trombone. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a little... Uh,
1: Have a little duet going.
2: A duet, sure. Right.
1: So now you, you just alluded to it just real briefly, uh, saying that you know, you felt comfortable in a variety of different aircraft. Now, what did you train in when you first were learning how to fly? Do you remember the, the type of aircraft you were in?
2: Oh, absolutely. It was a 172S with a G1000.
1: Oh, that's a nice airplane.
2: Yes, and uh, it was a pretty darn amazing, great experience, and just really got me involved with so many amazing people. And I think that's what one of the things that I love most about aviation are the people. And
1: the hangar flying stories, too. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And the parties after that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs>
2: okay,
1: I agree. <laughs> so now uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna transition to something with talking about the G1000 cockpit. Okay, digital cockpit, and that is something that the younger generation is very very comfortable with. You know, digital and electronics, and even my 15 year old daughter really, had, you know, tried to help me uh, send a playlist to someone from iTunes. So I think the younger generation is very much at ease with that kind of technology. Do you think that would help future pilots if they had newer stuff like that?
2: Absolutely. And what is really great about this whole digital phase, if you will, I mean, I like I said, I was lucky enough to You know, start out and grow up through, you know, the Garmin system. And now I know ProLine 21 and now we're into ProLine Fusion. And with that and all the, you know, again, STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. And, you know, when you're looking at these students that focus on all of this, even the drone technology is incredible to where these kids... I mean, this is what they're going to be a, have a forte with, and it really just makes it not only just for a single pilot cockpit, but even for, you know, crew resource management. And, you know, it's just all of the redundancy that's built into these systems just makes it better and safer for any pilot that's flying these amazing aircraft.
1: I do agree with you on that. I think the more we have at our fingertips for safety, you know, the better it is and you know why hold back on that. And even you know in the in the general aircraft uh, industry right now, we're seeing a, a big wave of of newer products and a little bit less expensive electronics coming into the marketplace that it could conceivably help us, you know, boost that population of pilots, you know, start now because it you know ultimately we hope that it'll be less money to get a pilot certificate. You because know, that's held a lot of people back too, money and finances. And, well, heck, that might lead us to the next conversation, which is iHeart Flying Foundation scholarships. Yes. That you, that you guys just gave out. And now you were looking for about. Now, th- we should tell the uh, audience that you're a relatively new uh, fundraising organization. Uh, tell us when you guys came on, on the uh, aviation field.
2: Yes, you are correct. iHeart Flying Foundation is literally. 1 year and not even 1 month old and it was just absolutely incredible uh we far surpassed our expectations and goals for our first year. We initially set out to award $25,000 in various scholarship opportunities and That's we and yes, so we ended up awarding over $40,000 in scholarships, different goodies with our partners like Bose Aviation or King's School, Aviation Life Clothing. So, I mean, we, and even Jessica Ambats, we have a lot of amazing, you know, people and
1: companies and partners jumping on board. I saw you with Martha King. That was a nice picture.
2: Yeah, I know. It's us girls. And (laughs) uh, yeah, I mean, they're just really great folks. And again, it's really about what can we do to break down those silos Partner up to build one another up. And it's not about, okay, us just raising money and, you know, the iHeart Flying show or something like that. It's okay, what can we do together and promoting one another and really getting that word out, not just about the financial opportunities with iHeart Flying, but all of the other financial opportunities that are out there, exactly. available, sitting there. Uh, I'll give you an example. Our last partner for Eagle Soar Hearts Explore, our dual scholarship opportunity, uh-huh. was with EAA Chapter Forty Three, right. and this is very typical. Uh, nobody really had heard about their chapter, and you know when I met Eric and Tyler, um, Tyler's an F thirty five pilot out of Hill Air Force Base, and Eric is also an established pilot out of uh, Denver. They said, look, we're sitting on all of this money, and we can't even give it away.
1: Well, people didn't know about it, probably.
2: Yeah, so this is just another example of, okay, there's a ton of money out there. You just need to know where to look.
1: Right, I agree. I I write write a little scholarship tease every week for our flight training audience. And, uh, I mean, every week there's a new one I'll I'll highlight, and it it runs the commit from uh, Agricultural Aviation Association's through the EAA, which you know they have a lot, uh, AOPA has a bunch of scholarships, and there's special scholarship opportunities for folks who are in the uh, Women in Aviation International group and uh, just tons of money out there if you know where to look
2: yeah well same thing uh with all the different you know women in aviation chapters we right. have a- Aopa I mean you guys have a ton of scholarships that you offer on a yearly basis and we were even doing some uh, simultaneously this year as well we have all the different 99s chapters there's grants available um, exactly and even flight school so and not uh, just
1: not just for uh pilotage training but also for Aviation mechanics, which is something that you alluded absolutely. to earlier on in the podcast.
2: Yes, absolutely. And like and if we even like I said, take that a step further and we're even looking into the rotocraft community.
1: That'd be cool. That's
2: that that's you know, suffering too. So it and and what we're I'm I am starting to see a little bit of shift as far as the gender gap and getting more women involved and excited and encouraged to pursue aviation. But we need just as many men behind us as women. So again, this is all about the team effort.
1: Right now. What about the drone deal? Now I, I kind of like flying drones a little bit. I'm, I've got a visual background, so I like the photography and the videography aspect of it, but do you think that'll open up any other opportunities for young people?
2: Okay, so that's a really interesting question, and I can answer that absolutely. And not only just from personally witnessing this, I did recently a speaking event on a career day locally here in Los Angeles and spoke to about 500 different kids from kindergarten to fifth grade. And do you know, I I actually introduced drones into (laughs) uh, my uh, PowerPoint presentation, and do you know every single kid from kindergarten up Knew the make, modeled, name of it. Knew what a drone was. So absolutely, especially with you know this technology boom and the millennials, and this is what they're. I mean, our future is working on. That's so pretty absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that
1: it does take a little dent out of the helicopter market as a. Visual journalists from way back in the newspaper world, we used to rent helicopters after natural disasters and things like that. But, you know, ultimately, uh, it is actually a little safer sometimes to use a drone for some of these power line inspections and things uh, of that nature where it's really – it's pretty unsafe for a helicopter pilot to to do that kind of thing. So in a way, it could help both sides of the spectrum, both the uh, manned and the unmanned aviation world, I think. Well, sure. And
2: if we're looking at increasing, you know, job opportunities, that just puts in a whole nother area where people can find a job. Exactly. Career opportunities.
1: Well, speaking of which, uh, a little segue here. Now, give us a little bit of background on your flight training experience. I saw a picture of you. It looked like you're in the left seat of a Cessna Mustang. So uh, how far out do your ratings go and how much catching up do I need to do?
2: Okay, so I fly single engine multi engine piston aircraft jets, helicopters, some military aircraft. Um, I've just started doing some aerobatic training. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, it's been uh, in a yak fifty two uh, decathlon, and then also a Christian eagle. so it's it's been super fun, super exciting, challenging. Uh, You know, had the opportunity a couple times to uh, ride with the Aeroshell team. So that was super exciting in the T6 Texans. The pilot maker. <laughs> yeah.
1: So you got, so you have tailwheel training as well. So you skipped over that when you're talking about aerobatics. You can't really do aerobatics oh, without yes. that. So
2: I was lucky enough to partner uh, and team up with Dan Christman. He was CFI of the year. Awesome. And I was invited out to North Las Vegas. Uh, not only did I uh, receive my tailwheel endorsement in July. Great. Uh, we were also doing some aerobatic training and upset training and really, anything that I can do to not only back somebody else's you know, credentials up, but to show people, you know what, it's all about learning and growing.
1: Well, that's a good point. Yeah. It's kind of like, if I can do it, you can do it too. We've had a few people say that too. In fact, we had just had the Redbird migration uh, event over here at AOPA. You can fly Academy headquarters and folks were saying that it's good to lay down the, the idea that, Hey, if I can do it, you can do it too.
2: Absolutely. And Learning is growing, and I don't care if you have a 1,000 hours, 10,000 hours, whatever it is, there's always room to learn and grow to make you a safer pilot. And that's the whole importance because we all know what the alternative is. And, you know, I mean, this is about being fun and exciting, but safety is a huge part of aviation and being able to go out and do these things. And like you're saying, to show people, if I can do this, you can do this too, but it also is showing that Nobody's ever good enough to learn.
1: Right. I got, I got Well, learning is a key thing in and of itself, and I like aviation because it does open my mind to different skills, and I feel like I'm always learning. I think John and Martha King said it the first time, that a good aviator is always learning. Yes. So now, um, before we uh, move too far down the road, I want folks to know that they could find your organization at www.iheartflying.org, and it's heart, H-A-R-T, flying.org. Now, how did you come up with that name?
2: So my whole theme for flying has been pink and hearts. And I wanted something a little bit different. I didn't want to be directly associated with certain other, you know, companies or organizations. And everybody is about, you know, making things shorter and easily, more easily accessible. So I said, okay, how about doing something a little different? And again, pink and hearts and happy and getting people excited, you know, about aviation. And that's what this is about. And even, you know, my, I have a Columbia 400 and that's the whole, theme of that and it's just been so much fun and whether people are smiling or waving or it's an introduction or something to talk about it's definitely a conversation starter which is good because you never know who you're going to meet and who you're going to influence
1: absolutely well that columbia aircraft is a very pretty aircraft and your paint scheme is truly outstanding it's definitely an attention getter i would imagine wherever you go
2: yes thank you and i always say i wear my heart on my plane so smart move you know, i like I, it yeah. now you're
1: pretty good on now you we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the podcast, uh, but I think you glossed over it. I think we need to spend some more time on the fact that you were looking at getting about $25,000 this year in in scholarship donations and doling that money out. And you hit the bricks. Uh, I saw a nice YouTube video and other social media posts, and you ended up with like forty grand, And that helped a lot of people. Tell us about, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but tell us about you know who you who you helped with that and what they got out of that the extra money.
2: Okay, so I came up with an idea for our last dual scholarship opportunity to, like I said, this was completely last minute. We had received 227 qualified applications. Um, I mean, amazing young ladies. And just so you know, I am very personally involved with everything regarding the foundation and the selection process and reading everybody's stories and journeys. So it's, it's important to share those. Absolutely. and. So we narrowed it down. Uh, we have a panel of folks that go through all of these and grade them, and then we got down to our final five. Okay. And what we asked the final five, of, or four, or our finalists, is to provide us a submission video telling us a little bit more about themselves, why they think they should be our recipient, and how they've, you know, faced a challenge or adversity and followed through. And yeah, so I we were just so impressed with. Our final five young ladies and I was just fi- I was finding it very hard to only just give away one scholarship. Gotcha. <laughs> so at the last minute, I decided to launch a three-day urgent donation challenge, and I said that I would match any donation received up to five thousand dollars out of my own pocket, so we can award. Not one, but we were going to award four. Yeah. And what was super exciting about we had so many people step up and donate and you know share this information that I was able to award all five.
1: Fantastic. Young
2: ladies a scholarship. So we actually between our partners this year awarded ten scholarships. I believe nine to female and uh, one male.
1: Wow, that's awesome.
2: Yes. So it was super exciting. Even our partner EAA chapter 43, not only did they receive another large donation, but they were actually able to offer two scholarships. They um, had a a silent donor come in to offer a second one to a uh, male and female. So it was just absolutely outstanding to show you know the love and support that we have
1: and these and these folks will soon become ambassadors for aviation and also for iHeart flying and scholarships we hope
2: Yes, absolutely. And I'm actually coming up on my um 1-year anniversary from my very first scholarship I gave out to my first recipient uh in December. So, uh yeah, it's 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 been a very humbling experience and wow, to be able to do this and give back and help others, you know, pursue their passion in aviation. It's pretty incredible. It
1: is. It is. And we appreciate you doing everything you're doing for the young people and for folks trying to get into aviation. And I know you're very busy right now. As we record the podcast via Skype, you're scrambling to get ready for the NBAA show, which is back on the East Coast near where I am. And um, and you're scrambling to do that. So thinking about what uh, folks might be able to do to get other people started in aviation. What you know, could you come with one or two tips uh that would help folks kind of really or you know people that are pilots that we know what do you suggest that we do to get more people interested.
2: You know what? It's all about exposure and talking and really sharing your story and your journey because not one of our journeys is the same. And that's what makes us unique and special. And you never know one, what someone's going through and two, what you can say about yourself in your journey that may influence somebody to make a change in their life. So whether it's posting your flying content or blogging or writing, you know, about your journey through any social media outlet or whenever you're anywhere, you know, talking to people and saying, hey, I'm a pilot or hey, I'm a aircraft mechanic. And wow, have you ever thought about doing this or going to outreach events or air shows or, you know, wherever you are? I mean, you could even go to a local coffee shop and strike up a conversation and, I don't think I have met one person or one kid that doesn't light up when I say I'm a pilot.
1: That's yeah, totally (laughs) true. I agree. I think it's a neat thing. And, you know, and actually, you know, when I get onto a, 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 you know, a commercial jet, when I'm going to different assignments for AOPA, I usually poke my head in the cockpit and talk to people and they find out. And with AFPA, they'll go, oh, yeah, man, I learned how to fly in general aviation airplanes. And, you know, to me, that's a real inspiring because I see where they are now. And uh, I, I just think it's a cool thing. I wish I would have known back in the day, you know, how important and how cool aviation would have been as a career. I would have got started way sooner.
2: No, I, and it is. It's, it's, it's just I mean, we're so lucky to I mean, I, if, if, regardless of all the aerodynamic factors that, you know, make that aircraft get off the ground it's magic.
1: <laughs> uh, it
2: true. is. It's magic. And it's the closest thing to freedom or being a bird, you know, that we can actually feel and be and witness. And to be able to do that yourself, like, I, I gotta tell you, every time I go to take off, my heart skips a beat. It's like, it's like the first time every time. And I, I think to myself, wow. I am doing this, and it doesn't matter what I'm flying. We, we all have to be a beginner at something, and I don't care if you're in a 150, a 172, or you're flying a you know 787 Dreamliner, which actually really cool. I met a gal, a first captain, female uh, on Instagram last week uh, that fly- it's a captain for a 787. So I was actually very, super impressed, and several other several other gals that uh, captain a 747, and I'm like wow now that's really the queen of the skies uh true so yeah so it's it's like i said it's, it's magic and for us to be a part of this magic in any capacity it's pretty pretty uh, special it
1: is it is and uh, and uh, speaking of uh, special we want to uh, spread the word again the people that could find you online at iheartflying.org h-a-r-t flying.org and uh, if folks want to see you in person are you, you're going to be at the NBAA show, the uh, Business Aircraft Association show. Uh, how can they find you there, and where will you go after that? Do you have any other events or appearances?
2: Uh, I do. and So uh, we will uh, – Lindsay and I with iHeartFlying will be available or around all next week at NBAA. You can follow us on Instagram at iHeartFlying. Or I am Rochelle and we will be uh, giving you NBAA updates and our stories and posts so you will know where we are or if you see us, you know, don't hesitate saying hello. We love meeting each and every one of you, and that's that's what we're here for.
1: And then will you uh, also be meet either at Sun and Fun or um, or back at Air Venture next year?
2: Okay, I will be at both. This will be my seventh um, Sun and Fun and air AirVenture in a row, and then when I come back from NBAA, I will be attending the Huntington Beach Air Show as a special guest oh, cool. of certain military operation, which I'm not going to share just yet, but i oh, super secret, excited secret about stuff. it. All right, okay. Secret stuff secret exciting stuff that uh yeah so you can find me there as well
1: Uh, that's neat Uh, i'll I'll look forward to that hopefully i can make it out that way and check it out uh well we really appreciate it very much rochelle i know you are real busy we appreciate what you're doing for young people and for other folks who are trying to get involved into aviation and and the scholarships were just that was an incredible story for me to see and hear about the fact that you raised so much money in such a short time and it helps so many people. We really appreciate that. Any final thoughts?
2: My final thoughts would one, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to want to hear my story and my journey and I heart flying. And uh, I'm just Super grateful that we can all be in this together, and I love AOPA and you know how we're able to work together to build one another up. And I guess my final words would be, never give up, never let anybody tell you there's something that you can't do. And it's so important in life to pursue your passion and, you know, really making it happen to create your aviation dreams. And I think David said it best, you know, if I can do this, you can do this, too. And if you need some extra motivation or inspiration or empowerment, you know, that's what iHeartFlying is here for. And you can find us on the web, our social media, Instagram, Facebook, and don't ever hesitate to reach out to us.
1: Rochelle Spector, we really appreciate you joining us via Skype for a Hangar Talk. And I hope that our paths will cross in person one day soon. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us. And, and uh, blue skies and good flying.
2: All right. Thanks so much, David.
0: Yeah, that's a, a cool story and um, a really impressive person to be able to, to put all her energy into giving back like that. That's just uh, fantastic.
1: It is. I like that, the fact that she's given back to uh, folks that helped her get started in aviation. And also, kudos to her for encouraging more young people, and especially young women, yeah. uh, and opening the doors to aviation for young women. That is so important in this day and age.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, hey, that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen.
1: And I'm David Toulis. And don't forget, you can find us at AOPA.org slash Hangar Talk. We're on iTunes and at Sporties on the Takeoff app. All right. We'll see you next time, David. Yeah, you, Ian. Thanks. Hangar Talk from AOPA, your freedom to fly.